So we are continuing this series. In fact, we are on the downhill run of this series of James. Uh, we started this several weeks ago um, as we are started studying through this, this letter that James wrote. Again, as we see, it is a letter. Uh, the traditional author of the letter is James, the, the brother of Jesus. And uh, he was an apostle. He was an early church leader. And he wrote this letter uh, to those that are committed followers of Jesus. Right? As we've seen from the very beginning, he addresses it again to, to those that are believers. Uh, what is just as important as what he tells us is what he doesn't tell us in the letter. Again, he does not address the way of salvation. He does not talk about Jesus' death or resurrection or the cross. Um, he does not uh, address the gospel message in the letter because his assumption is those receiving the letter have already accepted Christ as their Savior. Right? They've already confessed their sins, invited Christ into their life, been forgiven, been redeemed, and are now, now living, I can get that word out of my mouth, are now living a new life in Christ. Right? They have already joined the journey of faith, and now this letter is addressed as a letter of discipleship, of saying, what do I do after I'm saved? Right? What, is a, what will a life look like to truly move forward in my faith journey and to grow and to be transformed in my life and in my faith. And so as we've seen that, again, we've, we've also noticed as we study through James's tone in the letter, right? James is a person that, that tells you the truth, right? He doesn't water it down. He doesn't pull any punches. He comes straight out in a very blunt style and just tells you the way it is. And as we've seen through the letter, as he has, he's, he's built up and he's gotten more and more bold and, and stronger in the lines that he's drawn as we've studied our way through the different sections of this letter. And then last week, we got to the hardest section, the, the section that the entire letter was building up to and, and to where, again, we, just as I said last week, if we were not already offended by what James had said, you would be last week in that section. Okay, where he draws a very firm line, right? And he calls us out. And yet now we move into to these last two sections of the letter. And, and as we've gotten through the hardest part of the letter, okay, he now addresses us in a little different tone. He softens himself a little bit in these last two sections, what we're going to read today and the conclusion next week. Because we've gotten through the hardest part of the letter, we have now decided... Right, that we are all in, and we still want to hear from him. Right, because, again, if you're still reading, right, if you're still sitting with James, imagine if you were sitting down, you know, talking to him face to face, if, if you haven't stormed out of the meeting by now, you really want to know what he has to say. Right, and now, again, he, he gives us um, some, some steps to move forward. He says, you're still in. You've, you've now accepted the, the hard things that I've called you out on and admitted that, that you need to address these things in order to move forward in your faith. And last week, as we concluded the sermon, I, I challenged all of us right, to, to write down those things that are holding us back in our faith, those things that, that we haven't even been honest with ourselves about and things that we need to to give to Jesus, to, to crucify, to put on the cross, to leave there for Christ to redeem. 
right? Whatever was holding us back in our faith. And, and many responded. Again, as you see again on the cross, is all of those responses, okay? And I'll tell you, all of those responses that were left there last week was, were prayed over every day this last week. Okay, they were prayed through. Okay, in fact, at our staff meeting this week, we literally lined them up on, around the tables in our meeting, and we, we took 15 minutes out of our staff meeting, and we all walked around and prayed over every piece of paper. Okay, and, and as we see that one, I will say, is, is we are all taken, taken back by the honesty and the rawness of what was left on the cross last week. And I say that as just as a thank you of saying, I, I'm excited to know, right, that we've responded to what James has challenged us to. As well as, again, as we, as we have prayed through those and we see those also, again, we link them all together and, and drape them over the cross to say, right, that this is a visual representation of what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we can be real. And be honest with ourselves about what's holding us back in our faith. And, and to, to thrust those struggles and those burdens and, and all of those things onto Christ. That's why he died on the cross is for everything that's represented on those papers. Right? And yet, as they're linked together, it's a visual representation of what the church is supposed to be. A place where we can be real and honest about our struggles and the obstacles that we face in our journey. It's a place that we can give those burdens to God because only he has the power to change them and transform them and forgive them and redeem them. And we are all linked together as we walk together as a family of God, as a, as a faith community, to all move closer and closer to Christ together. Because as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that we face struggles in this life. But what it does change is that we no longer need to face them alone because we face them with the power of God and with the support of a faith community. Right? And as we realize that, now we look, we're like, okay, I put these on the cross. I left them at the foot of Jesus yesterday. Now what? Now what do I do? What's the next step? Okay, and what is, what is it? has to happen in my life to keep me from taking those things back on my shoulders. But I made the hard first step of putting them on the cross. Now the challenge we face is how do we leave them there? Right? And not pull them back and, and continue in that struggle or in that pain. And that's exactly where James goes in this next section. As he softens his tone, he looks at it and says, now what? What's the next step? You made it through the hardest step. Now we can move forward. Right now, as before we jump into to have what James gives us, I want to start this morning with the words of Jesus found in Matthew 16, verse 23. Again, this is interaction between Jesus and, and Peter okay, um, in the garden. Okay, um, or no, actually, it's not in the garden. It's after Jesus tells Peter what is about to happen. He says, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to suffer and die and, and all of these things. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and is like, Jesus, you, you don't have to do that. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to leave. I don't want any of this the suffering that you say you're going to have to take. Like, you don't have to do that. And then this is what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. 
you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now again, I bring this up, and again, I bring up these words of Jesus, because there's a couple of things, again, that, that, that truthfully James addresses in this next section. Okay, number one, right, is the overall view of the entire letter, which we have seen, is, is all about the human point of view versus God's point of view. In fact, the, the, that's exactly the heart of what James hit us with the face in last week, right? Is the world's way and all the struggles and the sins that are holding us back versus God's way and his redemption. Right? And the, the challenge he gives us is to look at this world, at our own lives and our own faith from God's point of view. Right? And notice again, what does Jesus reprimand Peter about? He's saying, no, you're seeing it from a human point of view, not from God. But also, though, notice, again, Jesus tells him, he says, get away from me because you are a dangerous trap to me. I encourage you to circle that phrase on your outline, dangerous trap. What does Jesus mean? What is he saying to Peter? What is, what is Jesus setting the example for us on how do we move forward in our faith? Because here, right, I mean, Peter's presenting a human point of view, and, and Jesus says, that's a temptation. That's a trap. Even for Jesus, it was a trap. Right? And, and here, James, in this next section, as we, as we look at this next section, starting at James chapter 4, verse 11, Okay, James is going to address us. He gives us three warnings in this next section. Okay, three ways that we can get trapped in our faith. That we can get sucked in back into the world's ways. Because, see, this is the thing about a trap. Okay, is a trap is only effective if it doesn't look like a trap. A trap is only effective if it doesn't look like a trap. If you know it's a trap, it will be completely useless because you're not going to go into it. Right? Because what does a trap do? It traps you. Right? It, it's a bad thing. Right? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drastically alter the path of your life if you get caught in a trap. Right? But a trap is only effective if it's deceiving, if it's camouflaged if it doesn't look like a trap. Right? And that's exactly, again, the warning that James gives us in this next section. He said, hey, I'm warning you because there are traps out there. Just like Jesus told Peter, there are traps. There are things that are going to pull you down that are going to you know, snap onto your leg, that are going are to be really bad for you. And what James is doing is pulling back the camouflage, pulling back the deception of these traps and saying, don't go here. So again, what are these traps? Well, we're going to look at, he gives us three of them. Okay, we're going to start this morning at James chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open with me to James chapter 4. And if you don't have your own Bible, don't have it with you today, there are Bibles in the seats you're welcome to use. You notice on the outline is a page number of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, so first we see this first trap that he addresses in James 4, verses 11 and 12. 
Okay, where he says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Okay, so here again, he says, you've made it through the hard part of the letter. Now here's the first trap you need to be aware of. Okay, and the first trap that he addresses in these verses is the trap of comparison. The trap of comparison. Notice again, how does he, how does he say that this, this trap is camouflaged, right? How, how do we not see it as a trap? He says, well, you, because we, we talk about each other. Right? And again, he, he's already addressed this earlier in the letter, right? About the power of our words and about how gossip and rumors are so destructive. And, and he's, he's already addressed this. And now he says, just be, be cautious of the trap. As you, you've put these things on the cross, as you move forward, this can pull you down. Remember, this letter is written to followers of Jesus. Okay, this is about how we interact with each other within the church. How you interact with other believers. Don't speak evil against each other. Again, I wish he was more clear. What does he really mean? What are you getting at, James? Nope, it's pretty clear. Don't speak evil. Especially towards other believers. Again, he's obviously going back to the power of our words. Right? But yet we need to remember that our words are a, are a reflection of what is in our hearts. And again, he's speaking directly once again into gossip and rumors within the church. Because nothing will be more divisive in a church than gossip and rumors. Again, at, at the very least... Right? He's talking about comparing someone's actions to God's law. Right? And saying again, is it your place to judge whether they're living the life they're supposed to live? And, and then the next step, right, if you feel like they're not, right, is to speak evil against them. Okay, but likely, right, we're also comparing not just them to God's law, but we're also comparing them to ourselves. Right, which goes back to all those evils he addressed last week, right? That, that are still at war within our own hearts, right? If, again, why do I need to talk down about somebody else? Well, because it makes myself look better or feel better. Right? He says, don't compare. And this is a concept we know. I mean, it's all through Scripture. It's one we, we, we learn at all the time, right? Is anytime we compare, we lose. And yet, he says, this is a trap, and it's a trap that you continue to go and fall into. And then he gives us, though, the way to avoid the trap. Okay, how do we avoid the trap of comparison? Okay, we avoid it by focus, focusing on living out my own faith. Again, what, what does he say? Right? He, he says, don't, don't compare somebody else. Don't judge somebody else against God's law. Right? That, that's really none of your business. That's between them and God. Right, so how do I stay out of this trap of comparison? Well, I, I look at my own faith and my own life, and, and I compare that to God's law. And, and not only do I 
evaluate it. Right? But again, he goes back to, again, what he's addressed earlier in the letter. Actually do what God tells you to do. Live out your own faith. If you focus so much on your own faith and on the things that God's putting in front of you and, and being completely obedient to that, then you won't have time to focus on everybody else. Because the truth is, if we all do that, if we all focus on our own faith and our own journey and do the next step that God's leading me to do and you're doing the same thing, then we will all be moving forward and we won't have to worry about each other. Right? And instead of talking evil about each other, we can encourage each other to continue to grow. Right? Again, he, he tells us in very plainly right, in the last part of verse 11, and he says, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Again, what is he telling us? Right? How do we truly avoid this trap? Hey, stay in your lane. Just do your job. Right? And your job is not to make the rules. God already made the rules. Okay, your job is not to, to debate whether those rules still apply to you or not. Because God already made the rules. They do apply to you. Your job is to obey them. Obedience. Right, live out my faith. Again, God writes the rules. He already set the boundary. It's not our job to change the rules, which is something that our world is constantly trying to do, by the way, is to redefine the rules. Our job is simple. To obey. Obey. How do we avoid the trap of comparison? I focus on my own faith. I take the next step of my journey that God's telling me to take. And if you're doing the same thing, then we all journey forward together, right? And we won't have time to worry about how somebody else has fallen short. Focusing on me and on God. That's the first trap. The next trap that he addresses is in James 4, verses 13 through 17. Where he says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Again, he addresses this next trap that we need to avoid. And again, he talks about, again, just doing life and about making plans and doing business and making a profit and, and all that. Again, how do we know what's coming in our life? Again, our, we are not the author of life, right? God is the author of life. Right? We don't know what's ahead of us, but yet God does. And, and again, he, he says, but the trap of this is you to move forward in your faith, right? The trap is to hold too tightly to control. Hold too tightly to control. Again, I don't know what your personality is like, but I will tell you is I've taken many personality profiles in my life, and I am a, a admitted control freak. Okay? Every personality profile I've ever taken is being like, yep, you like to be in control. 
Okay, and I'll tell you, this trap, right, is one that I have to address many times in my life, right? Is, is, and God just said, don't hold too tightly. Don't hold too tightly. Okay, is who is really in control? Now, again, this comes through lots of different ways. Okay, holding tightly onto control can, can come out in lots of different ways in our life. It might come out as stubbornness. I know what I'm doing, leave me alone. I don't want to hear your opinion. Right? It might come out through pride. I don't need your help. I'll figure it out on my own. Right? I can figure it out. It might even come out through laziness. Right? Of, I'm not even going to ask God what I need to do or to seek his will. Because, quite frankly, I don't want to do it. I'm pretty happy sitting on the couch. And if I ask him, I'm afraid he's going to tell me to do something. Right? So I'll just maintain that control of my own schedule and just not even ask the question. Right? But it's a trap. Again, James is not telling us to never make plans or, or to never pursue your dreams. Okay, that is not the healthy way to avoid this trap. In fact, we all have a job to do. We have a purpose to fulfill. God has given us all a reason to get up in the morning. Right? We have things to do, no matter what your personality is. You have a purpose to fulfill that God has given you and put in your life and your heart. Right? So again, we, how do we avoid this trap? Not by not making plans or not pursuing dreams, right? But the healthy way to avoid this trap is to journey through life with open hands. Again, notice that's, that, that's, what, he, that's what he tells us to do, right? Again, he says um, in, in verse 14, no, in verse 15, he says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Again, if God wants me to, I will do it. But does that, that means that, yes, I continue to pursue my plans, my dreams. I follow my dreams. I make my plans. I, I, I walk through and take advantage of opportunities. But what he's telling us to do is to include God in the process. Right? Because every opportunity is not God's will. It might be a trap. How do I know? Well, ask God. He's the one that sets the boundaries. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that can see the bigger picture. And James is telling us, go ahead. I mean, chase your dreams. God put those dreams in your mind, your heart. God put them there. Chase them. But make sure that God is a part of the process. Right? Don't maintain such, such closed, tight grip on your plans that it's like, nope, I'm doing this, God, whether you bless it or not. But it's with open hands. Like, Lord, this is my plans. This is my dreams. This is the things that I'm working towards. Lord, is, is this your will? And if it's not, show me. And, and you know what? At times, if, if the tighter our hands get, the more, again, control we try to take back, and then when God does show us, 
it's like a shot through the heart. Right? Because the harder I hold on to my plans, right, the more of a struggle it is when things don't go my way. When the world shows me that I'm not really in control. Right? And yet James tells us, he says, live life with open hands. Again, living life with closed hands is when we pray, Lord, bless me as I do this. And I don't know if you ever prayed that prayer before. I've prayed that prayer before. Lord, I'm doing this, so please bless me. Right? That's living life with a clenched fist. Right? Living life with open hands instead of praying, God, I'm doing this, bless it, right? Is, God, should I do this? Are you blessing it? Are you opening the right door? Is this an opportunity that I need to take advantage of or to walk away from? And whatever answer God gives us, we're going to trust. Part of saying, yes, go through that door or run like the wind, bullseye. Right? It, we, we pray, again, not bless me as I do this, but God, should I do this? Is your blessing on it? Because, again, the more that we focus on, on our will than God, the, the tighter our hands get. The more I focus on God's will first and then on what I should do, right, the more open my hands are. And then, though, he gives us this, this last warning at the end of this, right, of this trap. Again, how do you truly live with open hands? And that's in verse 17, which is, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And I'll tell you, this verse, again, has rocked my world many times. I was necessarily wondering, God, is this your will? But God, I don't really want to do that. Right? And yet, if this is where you are, right, then he's like, now go back to trap number one, right? I mean, go back to obedience. Right? If God is telling you to do something, then you better do it. Because it's sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. So we see the trap of comparison. We see the trap of holding too tightly to control. And then we see the third trap that James gives us in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Okay, where he says, Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible trouble ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers from whom you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your, your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Again, one more, one more place, right, the scripture addresses money, right, and possessions. And 
once again, as we see all throughout Scripture, is that when it talks about money, it's not really talking about money. Right? It's talking about our hearts and our desires and our motivations and the evidence that that money shows right, of where our hearts really are. Again, the, the trap here is not wealth. Again, all through Scripture, God blesses people with wealth as a blessing, as a reward. Okay, the trap that James is warning us about here is not wealth. Okay, the trap he is warning us about is the trap of manipulation and stagnation. Okay, manipulation and stagnation. And yet he uses money as the evidence of what will happen in your life if you fall into this trap. Again, it isn't the wealth that's the problem. It's how that wealth is gained and how that wealth is kept. It's gaining anything through dishonest or shady ways. Right? It's keeping whatever is gained with selfish motivations. It's putting your trust in something other than God, whether that's the wealth, right? or whether that's a reputation, or a position, right? or putting your faith in anything other than God is the trap. Right? He's telling us, again, it's, it's manipulation and stagnation. And guess what? Going back, this is exactly the way the world works. Right? You look out for yourself. You make as much as you can make, even if you have to backstab whoever you have to backstab. Right? To make more money. And when you make that money, you use it on yourself. You flaunt it to glorify yourself. Right? Or you hoard it. Right? And your faith becomes a part of that. Again, just he says, you've fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Right? You have done this to yourself. Okay, the trap is manipulation and stagnation. And again, this is not about money. Right? It can happen with money, but it can happen with anything in your life. Right? This trap is very present. So how do we avoid it? Right? How do we avoid the trap of manipulation and stagnation? Well, we avoid it right, with the opposite of these two things. That is with honesty and generosity. We stay out of this trap by honesty and generosity. Again, knowing that God is our provider. Again, whether it's wealth or anything else in your life, God is the provider. Right? And if God is the provider and God is holy and God is loving, then whatever God provides you in your life will, will come through honest and upright ways. Okay, just as we see, right, again, in the earlier warning, right, is God is not against you doing business and making money. That is not the problem. Right, the trap is to, is to, to gain it in dishonest ways through manipulation or whatever it might be, right, just as he addresses, right, of not paying people what they earned. Right? And through stagnation, right? As far as you bring it in and it doesn't go back out, right? It doesn't flow. It's not used. Then it just corrodes. And it, it deteriorates. But not just the gold deteriorates, but so does your own heart. 
right, is stagnation, again, will, will destroy most things in your life, including your faith. Again, what you gain then will be used for God's glory and not your own. Because if it's not used, then it can easily become an idol. Okay, if it's not used, it can easily become an idol. Okay, as we think about this, right, again, if God provides it in your life, God expects you to use it and use it for his glory. Right, just a, a great example, right, and I think about this is think about grandma's fancy china. Right? It was bought right, as a status symbol or as a, a sign of blessing. Right? And I remember growing up, right? I remember grandma's china. Right? And it was in the, in the cupboard. Right? And it was, it was in, you know, we bought furniture with lights in it right? so we can always see it. Right? And, and it's put on display. You know how many times I, I ever remember actually using grandma's china? Zero. Right, and then you see, right, that china, you, if you ever look at it, right, there's like dust on it in the cupboard, right? And like, and again, it's one of the most expensive things in grandma's house, and yet it's never used. Right? It just gets put on display, and, 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 and we're told, right, about how expensive it was and how beautiful it is, and, and, and it, which is great, but yet it becomes stagnant, right? It gets full of dust. It, it gets, you know, the silver gets... It's cloudy, right? And, and if it's not used, it becomes stagnant. And then the point becomes protecting it instead of using it. And that's where it starts to be a drain. Okay, generosity keeps things flowing so it doesn't get stagnant or corroded, right? Which is true with our money, right? If we're generous with our money, it kind of flows through. And, and as God tells us, right, if, if you're faithful and, and use what he gives you, he will give you more. If you hoard it for yourself, then even that will be taken from you. But again, not just your money. We could be generous with everything in our lives, right, with our time, with our relationships, with, with our knowledge, right, with, I mean, lots of things in our life we can be generous with. Honesty and generosity will keep you out of this trap. Again, in verse, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Your gold, your silver are corroded. The very wealth you're counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. A blessing becomes a curse. Right? And will hold you back. Then again, what are you counting on? Again, is your faith in God or is it in yourself or in the world or in other people or in wealth or in anything else other than God? Then you've fallen into that trap. Again, James looks at all these traps and says, hey, as you move forward in your faith, you've done the hard first step. But as you, for you to continue to move forward in your faith and stay on that right path and to grow and move forward, avoid these traps. Right, and what's the theme of all of the traps? All three warnings that he gives us in this section are about submitting to and trusting God completely. All three warnings, that's the overall theme of all of these traps, is 
submitting to and trusting God completely with everything in my life, with my money, with my job, with my family, with my marriage, with my kids, with my free time, with whatever it is. Submitting to God, he's the one that makes the rules, not me, right? And trusting God completely, right? That he will guide my steps. He will move me down the path. All three warning are telling us to submit to and trust to God completely. As I, I heard this several years ago, and I just, it popped into my head when I'm thinking about this, you know, these, these, these two great truths that we need to remember in our life to continue to move forward in our faith. That there is a God, and you're not him. Right? Because these two truths will help us to avoid all of these traps. There is a God, I'm not him. Let God be God, and not take anything on myself, or or on another person, or on an organization, or on a church, of what God should do. I put my faith in God and God alone. Okay, which is exactly, again, at the core of all of these, the, 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 the overall warning that James gives us in James 4.12. He says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Let God be God. And you be you. Right? And that looks practically like submitting to God and trusting God for everything in my life. Again, this is not a new concept that James is, is making up. Okay, in fact, this is a concept that um, is all through Scripture, but we see that, in the, go back to the Ten Commandments that, that God gave Moses. The very first commandment, you must not have any other God but me. Yeah, that's the key. That's the first commandment. Don't have any other God but God himself. And that's one of the main ways we keep God as our only God is by acknowledging his presence through praises and thanksgiving. Right, through praise and thanksgiving. I, I again acknowledge that God is there. I acknowledge everything that he's given me. Right? And again, as a follower of Jesus, he's given me everything. Right? He gave us his son so that we could be in a relationship with him. And it all goes out from there. Okay, especially as we enter into these next few weeks of the Thanksgiving season, right, as we celebrate Thanksgiving today as a church family and move into right, Thanksgiving next week and or all the, this time, right, is this is a, an incredible time to remember to give thanks and praise to our God. Again, what's the next step? How do we move forward, right? Last week, we took these white papers and we put them on the cross. And so today, I want to challenge you a little differently as we close the service. If Again, if you need to put another white paper or you even need to put the same thing back up there because you're like, I took it back off this week and, and I need to redo it, there's some more white papers available for you. Hey, but also in the seats is a green paper. 
Okay, and on the green paper, I want to challenge you to put a praise or a thanks, right? Or again, even just an X, right, about to God, right? To say, God, I'm keeping you God. Okay, and this is how I'm going to keep those things on the cross. This is how I'm going to continue to put that burden on you, right? Is I'm going to thank you and I'm going to praise you for who you are and focus on you, not on me. I'm going to keep you God, not me. So today, again, as we respond and as our worship team comes up and we sing another song during that time, I just challenge you to say the next step, right, to, to keeping those things there and continue to work through those things is through praise and thanksgiving. So put a praise on the green paper. Okay, and this brings it into our final thought this morning, and that is this. This world is full of traps that look great at first, but will ultimately harm and pull you away from God's best. So what trap is God opening your eyes to? Again, maybe that might be what you put on the green paper. Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes to this trap that I didn't even know I was in. All right, maybe you just write that trap on there. But again, as, as we sing this last song, I encourage you again, come forward Again, you can put this on the cross or put it at the foot of the cross, however you want to do that. But again, what has God done in your life? What has, has he shown you? What has he set you free from? How are we going to keep our focus on him? Lord God, we thank you, God, that you open our eyes to the traps of this world. God, to the things that might be holding us back in our faith. God, we thank you that we can... Lord, cast those burdens on you, that you take them from us. And God, but today as we avoid those traps, Lord, we know that our focus is on you, and we praise you, and we thank you, God, for not giving up on us. God, for opening our eyes to what we need to see. God, to giving us a purpose and a reason to get up in the morning and to serve you and love you back with everything we have. God, guide us as we go this week, Lord, as we as we trust you, as we live life with open hands, as we follow through with whatever you're calling us to do. God, may we shine your light and your love in this world this week. As your followers, we praise you and thank you and ask for your continued guidance. Bless us as we go, Lord, as we shine your light this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.